Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 8.2, the second episode in our series on Grand Canyon National Park. In this episode, Brian speaks with Mike Bukai. Mike is the Field Institute Director at the Grand Canyon Association, the nonprofit partner for Grand Canyon National Park. Brian and Mike talk about how to plan your trip to visit the Grand Canyon. Before we get to the conversation, we would like to ask for your help to grow our audience by telling your friends, subscribing, and leaving a review. Also, we love creating each episode, but it takes significant time and effort. Please consider supporting our work through Patreon, which provides a way for listeners to support the show. Just go to our website, everybodysnationalparks.com, and click on Support the Show. Thank you for listening. Now for this week's discussion on Grand Canyon National Park. I'm here with Mike Buchheit. Uh, he's the Field Institute Director for the Grand Canyon Association, which is the nonprofit partner for the Grand Canyon National Park. Mike helps run the Canyon Field School for underserved children, as well as the Field Institute, which offers family tours and hikes of the canyon. So we have the perfect person here to talk about planning your trip to Grand Canyon National Park. Uh, hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning. Well, thanks again for taking time out. You know, I think at least in my mind, we have a particular challenge here because obviously, it goes without saying, the Grand Canyon is vast. However, the park infrastructure, the, the, the Grand Canyon Village is pretty concentrated on the South Rim. And of course, you have a concentrated uh, piece on the North Rim. And then you have some trails, some of which are very arduous. So trying to planning this all out and navigating crowds is, could be a particular uh, a particular issue, so we're very glad to, to have you here to talk this through. But before you get there, and uh, we'll dive in, do you want to just talk about your role with the Grand Canyon uh, Association and the Field Institute? Sure. Yeah. So uh, as you pointed out, uh, the Field Institute is a program of the nonprofit Grand Canyon Association, which has been here since 1932 as the official park nonprofit partner. Uh, all the parks in the country have a similar arrangement with a nonprofit. Some of the smaller parks tend to share one, but uh, we work one-on-one -on -one with Grand Canyon National Park at the National Park Service to help them in a variety of ways, including we operate a number of bookstores in the park, eight bookstores. We generate revenue from our bookstores and online sales, uh, a portion of which is made available to the park service in the form of direct cash aid. And then there's also uh, in-kind services. We are the official fundraiser for Grand Canyon National Park since 2009. So we help the Park Service find uh, outside funding for projects and programs that might not happen without additional support outside the regular funding from Congress. And in our case, not all of the nonprofits that I mentioned, that network that supports national parks, in our case, we do have a field school, Grand Canyon Field Institute. It's an outdoor education program that provides deep dive educational opportunities, everything from 18 day river trips to half day rim walks for people from all over the world, all ages. And uh, it's all in support of Craig Andy National Park and their educational objectives and goals. And then also, you mentioned the Canyon Field School. That's a relatively new collaboration between the Park Service and the Grand Canyon Association Field Institute. We'll just refer to us as the Field Institute going forward. Uh, as you mentioned, that is a program that is designed for youth 
and we do have a, a goal of trying to get about 50% of attendees from uh, underserved communities. This would be uh, week-long camping adventures here on the South Rim. Eventually, we'll have some overnight camping in the canyon, and if we're really lucky, a river trip or two for anything from middle schoolers through high school. It's all curriculum-based, delivered, delivered by rangers, uh, seasonal rangers that will have actually doing the teaching with support from the Field Institute and writing. Well, that's that's great. And actually, I just, Danielle doesn't even know this. I just learned this. I'm fresh back from Crater Lake National Park with my brother. Just learned that my sister-in-law, his wife, actually participated in the Field Institute when she was in high school, coming from one of those communities. And she went on a long trip in the Grand Canyon, down uh, rafting down the Grand Canyon. And it was a trip of a lifetime for her that she still talks about, related to my brother. And uh, so I wanted to bring that full circle for you. It was a truly a watershed, uh, no pun intended, moment in her life to take that trip and kind of leave, leave her hometown in Arizona for a little bit and and get out to the Grand Canyon, which she hadn't been to prior to that. So we're a testament here. Indirectly, I'm a testament here to, to what you all do. So congratulations. Great. That's wonderful to hear that. What a small world. A small world. So here we are, Grand Canyon. How We wanted to pick your brain here about how to think about this trip. We went, uh, our family, as Danielle may have told you, we went at Christmas time, which was, uh, again, we had great weather. It was pretty crowded, south, south rim, of course. And then Oh, a long time ago, in 2002, Danielle and I went to the uh, North Rim for a day or so. So, uh, But we wanted to really pick your brain about how you plan this out with a family because I imagine if it's the week of July 4th, the Grand Canyon gets pretty crowded. Uh, at least, again, the, that concentrated infrastructure that the, the park has, North Rim, South Rim. How, how would you go about that? What, what's a great time to visit the park and then how far in advance does one need to make reservations to make sure they secure a campsite or a place in a lodge or some something along those lines? You know, this is a 1.2 million acre park created within the boundaries of, of the state of Arizona. The canyon's about 277 mi- river miles long. Uh, the Colorado River flows through the canyon down at the bottom, obviously. South Rim is the more heavily visited of the park. There's many hotels here on the South Rim, big visitor center restaurants, lots of infrastructure. There's a gateway community outside the south entrance of the park where Grand Canyon Village is located on the south rim. Just outside the park is the gateway community of Tutsayan, and there are a number of hotels and restaurants there as well. Then a few neighboring communities about an hour, hour and a half away, Flagstaff and Williams. The north rim is only open from May 15th through October 15th, weather permitting. It's about a 1,000 feet higher in terms of elevation. They get much more snow than we get here on the south rim at some 1,000 feet. And it, it's a, a much more remote destination in terms of its proximity to any major cities or ports. So they get far fewer visitors on the northern, but the seller's market there in terms of the lodging, if you're lucky enough to get a, a campsite or a, a lodge room or a hotel room, a slower pace, it's got many of its own farms and a lot of people really angle to get there every year. So I guess that's just, you know, dark at a glance, uh, what people might be thinking about. So I'll start with the seasons. You mentioned you were here in wintertime. Most visitors come to the park summertime. It coincides with family vacation. So that's when the competition is pretty hot for lodging and other activities that 
that a family might want to take advantage of, especially on the South Rim, which is open around that now outside of the high season during the summertime, you could come in the spring and the fall and even the dead of winter have a wonderful experience here and probably more luck in getting uh, kind of lodging and other activities that you might be interested in. So we'll drill down a little bit the North Rim and the South Rim activities and so forth as we go through the interview here, but uh, I'll say a word on the backcountry. Sure. The backcountry would be, yeah, down in the canyon. So if you want to backpack, if you want to camp, Overnight in the canyon, you do need a permit from the Park Service, generally available about four months out from the that you want to hike. Very uh, in, in high band, uh, these the few campsites that are down there. So the Park Service has a, a system to apply for a permit. And depending on where you want to go and the size of your group and what time of year, uh, you may or may not get your first choice. You have to move down your list and, and try a different destination. Uh, or, or try again, you know, down the road. There's limited capacity down there uh, in the canyon. The Park Service can't give a permit to everybody who wants to go, but there is a system in place to try to secure one. The river trips? Right. So it, just so it seems as though in other parks, generally speaking, look, the backcountry is pretty accessible to get a backcountry permit, maybe because some of the backcountry is not that accessible. But if you want to go in the backcountry, it's a doable exercise. But Grand Canyon, front country, campsites and lodging, and then in the back country because there's only a few campsites and then Phantom Lodge, of course, down down at the bottom. There's only a certain amount of spots. Both uh, both front country and back country, one should make reservations well in advance, it sounds like. that There's just no two ways around it, especially, especially if you're there during high season to really uh, – organize yourself and make those reservations months and months in advance, it sounds like. That's paramount, and, and that, that that would go for, if you're trying to go on a river trip, uh, you, you definitely want to reach out to and find a, a commercial river outfitter a year or two in advance. Backpacking, you want to you know, really prepare and be ready when the month in question where you want to go hiking becomes available. You want to get your permit request in and ditto for lodging and so forth. Like I said, the Grand Canyon continues to be a real seller's market. We're getting over 6 million visitors a year these days. So there's pretty hot competition for many activities and amenities. So if if it's a Thursday in July and and I decide and, you know, impromptu, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to pack up the car and drive to the Grand Canyon and I'm going to get a campsite on a Friday night. Chances are I'm going to be, first off, sitting in line outside the park entrance waiting to get in and, and going to be shut out once I get in. That's a pretty good uh, supposition, would you say, Mike? Uh, I would agree with you there, yep. And there are there are public campgrounds on both the north and south rim, let's be clear about that. And they, yep. they do book well in advance as well. But backcountry permits, it's pretty unlikely you could just roll up to the backcountry office and secure a permit and and head out. There's a lot more planning that needs to happen. Got it. So let's let's hear about the river trips because uh, that's one we obviously we were there in the winter. We did not do, and uh, we are desperate to do at some other point. So how does one think about that and go about booking that? You've already said think about a year or so in advance to book those with an outfitter. But uh, how does one go about finding a good outfitter? And then uh, how should I think about the trip? Well, um, the let's see. There's there's about 15 or 16 licensed outfitters that provide commercial whitewater rafting in Grand Canyon, so they're regulated by the Park Service. And you know the watercraft, you get anything from a motorized raft uh, down to an oar-powered raft, or some have kayaks available. So there's there's a few different ways to tackle it. The time frame, you could do 
you're probably looking at at least eight or nine days to go all the way through the canyon, and some in some cases up to two weeks if you're going in a, an ore-powered craft. Uh, you you do want to book a couple years in advance uh, to to get your pick of the letter on dates, especially if you have a big group. It's it's a quite an amazing experience having done it a, about a dozen times myself. It's some of my peak experiences in the canyon are just you know racing through the white water and. Camping on secluded beaches and going on nice side hikes. What class are those rapids? Uh, I know it probably depends on the year, but how well, do they progress from spring into into summer during high season? The, the class of the rapids, and you know, how should I think about it? If uh, as we do, we have little kids. The Colorado River through Grand Canyon is a, a dam-fed river. Glen Canyon Dam sits about 15 miles upstream from the beginning of Grand Canyon, and so the the flow of the river is highly regulated. They don't have the big spikes and troughs in, in the water flow that they used to have decades ago based on power needs in, in cities that are served by hydroelectric power from the dam. So it, it's more or less constant down on the river. So, But the in terms of the rapid scale, the Grand Canyon, it's a, it's a the Colorado River is a, a high-volume river, so we have a 1 to 10 scale on rapids here at Grand Canyon. So uh, 10 being the the most challenging, and, you know, through the course of the canyon, there's, you know, rapids of different sizes. There are a few places where you can really expect some big water and big big rides uh, based on the topography and the geology of, of any given point. But there are definitely a few major, major rapids here that will get your full attention and, and have to be taken seriously by, by boatmen, whether they're commercial boatmen or, or certainly private boaters. Uh, people can take their own watercraft through the canyon as well. Uh, all told, it's about 24,000 people that go through the canyon in any given year. Again, that's a fraction of, of the interest and demand, but, but that's what the ecosystem, the desert ecosystem at the at the bottom of the canyon can sustain based on the Park Service's estimate. So they, they limit the number of people who can go through. Well, one thing you said that I didn't know, so if I had my own kayak, I could go down. I guess I'd have to get a permit, but... Uh... You'd say there's private craft that goes in? Yeah, absolutely. I can't summon the percentage of, of those 24,000 people that, that go down uh, as, as private boaters. I'm, I'm going to guess it's probably 20 or 30%. I may be off on that note. But uh, that, that, again, is a hotly contested activity, so, so you have to be requesting your permit, and, and there's quite a few parameters to, to be able to do that preparation that you need to make. And, uh, Mike, any general rules on size, weight, just if one's thinking about taking kids down there, is there a is there a weight that generally the outfitters look for uh, above that or a height or something like that? Yeah, they all have their own policies. It's it's not all the uh, river concession concessioners have their own policies, and I think they're sometimes on a case by case basis. But in my experience, I've been on the river with children, and I'd say it's unless the kids have done it elsewhere, probably ten, eleven, twelve would be. Uh, as young as I would go, because it's a pretty demanding activity, even if you're just in a boat all day hanging on. You're away from all your comfort zones, and it's a whole new world down there with, with thrills and spills, potential spills. And it's definitely a, a full-on backcountry experience, so the kids would have to be pretty hardy, even at, even at that tender age. Yeah, that's good advice. That's good advice. We just went on a the kids' first whitewater rafting trip in upstate New York. And uh, it was class one to three, but and our kids are uh, at the time were eight and six, uh, and they did okay. But this sounds like this is a little bit more advanced, and and they should be a little bit bigger. So that's that's really good advice uh, for everybody. 
So to take this back, let's get back from the river and let's go back up to the to the rim for a second. So Mike, how does one, you know, how does one get around the park? So let's just start with the rim trails and and just kind of uh, any shuttle service to get around to kind of mitigate some of the crowds. How does that work? And then um, then second question, let's say we want to get down in the canyon. Um, obviously, I have my own two feet, but what other conveyance can I use to, to get down to the get down the uh, canyon? Sure. Uh, so you can drive your own personal vehicle into the park, both on the south rim and the north rim. There are places, in particular on the south rim, uh, during high season, where you need to use a park uh, NPS, National Park Service, shuttle bus to access some of the overlooks and some of the destinations, just because uh, the sheer number of cars would overwhelm the uh, parking lot and uh, infrastructure. So that's for starters, you know, you, you can drive into the park, frankly, how most people do it. You can take the train up. There's a train that comes up once a day from from Williams, Arizona, about 60 miles due south of, of the south rim here, Grand Canyon Village. That's an option. People fly over the canyon. There's people that don't even come into the park, but they you go to that gateway community that I mentioned of Tucson, and there's a few um, companies that would provide helicopter tours of the Grand Canyon. So when you get into the park, so once you're in the park, you know, your options to get down into the canyon would be on foot, of course. Either as a day hiker, I should point out, if you day hike into the canyon, uh, you do not need a permit from the Park Service. So if you want to go down the trail a little ways, and see what life is like below the rim. Certainly you have to prepare for that, too, with plenty of water and food and keep an eye on the weather. That's something that's happening all day, every day. As we speak, uh, people are on many of the trails that tumble off the south rim and the north rim. If you want to take a mule ride, so there is a tourist infrastructure called Phantom Ranch down at the rock bottom of the canyon. It's a cluster of historic cabins that you can reserve through Zantera. Parks and resorts. They operate Phantom Ranch. You can you could hike there and spend the night, or you could take a mule down there. So they do have overnight uh, stays at the Phantom Ranch that are accessed uh, on mules. Uh, so you could uh, you could go down, spend the night, and then come out the next day uh, on a mule. And they have a meal a meal plan down there. You can have your meals and so forth. Uh, so that's one way to do that. You you also have mule rides up here on the rim, also run by Zantera, uh, which are uh, quite popular these days. So hiking, um, backpacking, uh, you know, river running, uh, day you know, day hiking or or a mule ride. Those would be your ways to get down below the rim and and spend some quality time in the canyon. And Daniel and I talked about this in our last episode uh, for our trip report. We did the day hikes down, some down Bright Angel, and then uh, the Kaibab Trail, I guess South Kaibab Trail, and uh, we uh, that was great. We just yeah. we had a certain amount of time, so we just went down to a couple of checkpoints or points of interest, and then just came back up, which was a great way just to stretch our legs and get a nice hike in. Because of course, on the way back, you're getting elevation. So so all right, we talked about getting around. So we talked planes, trains, and automobiles, and mules. So I think we, we covered a lot of conveyances there. And again, the lesson is reserve in advance. We're, we're desperate to go to fan, of course, at some point, but has to reserve well in advance. So now we have kind of a lay of the land. You know, Mike, let's talk about what are some activities for kids? You know, we talked, if they're bigger kids, maybe the, the rafting. How should kids think about the canyon? What other activities exist when we're planning out our trip for the Grand Canyon? Well, if, again, these aren't hard and fast rules, and it's a case-by-case it's -case basis on what, what your particular kids are, are up for and 
and, and capable of. You know, I I personally see you know, kids on backpacks, probably the, roughly the same age frame that we were, age range we were talking about earlier, young teens. Rarely do I see toddlers down there, and that's probably a good thing because it is a pretty harsh desert environment. And I agree. A lot of physical exertion required pretty much no matter what you do below the rim. There are, you know, certainly ranger programs throughout the day for all ages. Those are free and advertised at the visitor center when you get to either the south or the north rim. Make that your first stop to see what kind of talks you'd want to hear. And, and strolls along the rim, there's the occasional ranger program that does go below the rim as well. Evening programs, those are great for kids. The Canyon Field School that we, we spoke about earlier, for mostly for school groups if they're interested. And then there's uh, quite a few companies, including uh, the Field Institute. Not to confuse the matter, but that's, that's the, the outdoor education program for families and, and all ages that, that we operate here at, at the Grand Canyon Association. We do have a number of uh, family-friendly day hikes uh, that people can can book, have a, a private guide for a day to take you down the trails or along the rim. And there's a growing number of commercial guiding companies that offer that same service. You know, some include meals and transportation, varying degrees of interpretation and education, uh, a variety of different destinations. So if you're looking for a guided hike or a guided experience, there's no shortage of, of companies that would be happy to provide that service. So you can have a you can have your own guide help you or not help you, but a, uh, walk with you down the canyon and kind of explain the geological process of what's going on. A real live classroom. We talked about the rafting. Um, what? Let's just fill us out a little bit. What's what's the itinerary? So let's say family of four, active family. Uh, the kids are a little bit older. Uh, sounds like, if, and we have all the time in the world to make our reservations. Sounds like rafting is something we should think about, and it sounds like a at a minimum some day hikes, maybe some guided hikes, ranger programs. What other uh, what other things should we add into our itinerary? What hikes would you recommend or or must do hikes that yeah. uh, that we would have to do? Okay, well let's start with the south rim where most people come to visit, and the, the larger infrastructure and and a, a larger variety of trails originate. Uh, in you know close proximity to where the hotels are and so forth. There's really two main trails that uh, are suitable for first-time hikers or or novice hikers, and that would be it. Sounds like you you were on at least the the South Kaibab Trail, the Range River Trail. It goes all the way to the bottom, as do most of the trails that uh, we may talk about here today. And then the Bright Angel Trail as well. That starts right in the heart of Grand Canyon Village, where most of the hotels are. Again, uh, it, it goes from top to bottom. They're patrolled by rangers, although you can't guarantee there'll be a ranger if you encounter some trouble. There'll be plenty of other hikers. They're about a city sidewalk wide. There's elevation gain and loss, you know, as as these trails go into the canyon. It's challenging even going down, but you've really got to save some energy for the hike out. Those are good trails, weather permitting and seasonally. In the summertime, it's beastly hot down in the canyon, so you'll want to start your hike in the wee hours of the morning and pretty much be out of the get where you need to go before noon. Temperatures can soar up to 100 degrees or more down in the, the rock bottom of the canyon for sure, but even halfway down, it, it can get really intensely hot down there. Uh, in both cases, you'll want to prepare, you know, train for it. Water and food, be, be conservative on your, your mileage, knowing that the hardest part is going to happen when you turn around and come back out, just sort of the reverse of, of mountain climbing. Um, so that's that's something you'd want to do, even if you just go down a little ways. It's 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 well worth it. Uh, 
just to get a sense for how the geology and the topography changes different plants and animals that you might encounter, and just for that sense of accomplishment, frankly. Uh, off the north rim, there's really only one trail that would lend itself in the hotel area to hiking below rim, you know, with a family, and that's the North Kaibab Trail. So that's the the extension of the South Kaibab Trail that that we referenced. And and going down that trail a little ways, you know, would have the same challenges and benefits, in my opinion. So one thing I just want to highlight, Mike, and what you what you talked about is um, safety is important too. You mentioned being mindful of the weather and hydration. So Again, this is a wild area, right? So, so what are anything else on safety precautions we should think about before uh, we take that journey down into the canyon? Let's see. I probably couldn't anticipate everything that could go wrong, but I would say just to do your do your homework. You know, the Park Service uh, you could you can find on the Park Service website. They've anticipated a lot of the questions you're asking and and others in terms of the different companies to, to reach out to, to book things, uh, hotels, campgrounds, and so forth. But, but their website has a lot of great information on hydration and preparation, you know, and, and, and what, to, what to look out for if, if you're down in the canyon and, and, and what to do if, you know, if, if things go wrong. You're sort of on your own, frankly, so you've got to, you know, really anticipate every scenario before you, you take that first step down the trail. In general, the big thing that happens here that gets people into trouble is the heat. You know, the bottom of the canyon is about 20 degrees warmer than the top at any given time. You know, if you're hiking all the way to the bottom of the canyon, it's not inconceivable that you'd start your hike 40, 50 degrees Fahrenheit, nice chilly morning. And by the time you got to the bottom, it could be over 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Yeah, and that's there aren't many places on the planet in a three or four hour hike that you can get that kind of a temperature swing. And, and bodies, frankly, are uh, are rarely used to that kind of a uh, uh, you know that that wide of a variety of of uh, ambient temperature. And so that's something to keep in mind. And then, as I mentioned earlier, hiking down is fairly easy, but but hiking out is under any conditions uh, pretty grueling. So you have to make sure that. You know, the call of the lure of the canyon doesn't pull you too far down in where you turn around and you just don't have enough juice to get back out. Yeah, I think a good I think a good rule of thumb there is, and we thought about this just on our hikes. You know, if your if your idea of a hike is from the couch to your fridge, probably don't. You know, your next step is to take it from the uh, from the rim down into the canyon is probably not the best thing. So work your way up to it. Make sure you're in some sort of decent hiking shape uh, before you tackle. Uh, Getting deep down in the canyon, I think, makes a makes a lot of sense. Um, oh yeah, know your know your gear, know your equipment. You know, don't don't buy a brand new pair of boots and throw them on and, and head down into the canyon, or you're going to have some crazy blisters. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, and be and you know, it's 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 a vacation. You know, so so uh, this is not the place to to push the envelope and try to find your limits. You know, you want to do that and. In more familiar terrain, closer to home, here you really have to be conservative, and uh, you know play it safe because the, you know you have the big views from the first step into the canyon. Uh, the rest is gravy. If you're going downhill, it's uh, of course it changes, and you get that sense of accomplishment. But uh, you know, go easy on yourself and your family, and and uh, you know make it a vacation. It right. doesn't have to be an endurance contest. Well, speaking of endurance contest, and a question we get a lot is, "Hey, at these at these um, very popular national parks, like or a lot of them, most of them are popular, but especially the Grand Canyon, 
how do I mitigate crowds? So, so Mike, how would you think about avoiding crowds or mitigating crowds depending on time of year to visit or even if you're there during high season? How would you do well about avoiding being just in a throng of people and, uh, and not really being able to get some space? Well, yeah, that's, that's a good question. As I mentioned, we do get 6 million visitors a year, and, and the vast majority come really from spring break through Labor Day is, is when we get the, the real uh, uh, what we would call high season or peak season, where there's uh, people everywhere. But with a little work, you can still get maybe not completely away from the crowds. You, you might not have a whole day to yourself, but you know certainly the established scenic overlooks are, are generally going to have people, whether they're accessed by the, the shuttle bus or if you can drive up to them even more so. But there's there's a, on the south rim for sure. There's a, a wonderful trail right along the rim called the Rim Trail, uh, ironically, and or not. Uh, and that's a wonderful trail where you can uh, just stroll along the rim. You know, you might uh, take a bus to one overlook, and then use that the Rim Trail to to go a few miles down along the canyon rim. And there, you you there will be moments where you're going to have the canyon all to yourself. Uh, different views of the canyon that you'll have along the way. So that's that's probably the best thing to do on the south rim. The north rim, it's a little more condensed, although there's far fewer visitors. So it's, uh, again, just to maybe walk or plan where you're headed, you know, use a map, ask the rangers where to go. But you can maybe go to one of the overlooks and then wander along the rim in one way or another And uh, if you if you really just want to get away from your fellow visitors. And, and that's probably the best advice I could give. So, and that's, by the way, that's what uh, Danielle thought about way back when in '02. She she thought, you know, let's go to the North Rim because we were there in the dead of summer, and maybe we we can see if we can avoid some crowds a little bit. It was still crowded. And again, just to be clear, one can hike from the South Rim down into the canyon and then up to the North Rim, or vice versa. Correct? Again, with a backcountry permit. With a backcountry permit, yeah, yeah. There are a number of. Um, campgrounds strung out along the rim-to-rim route, three in particular, that, that uh, uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a permit, that can break up what would otherwise be a 26-mile hike if you were just to do it in one shot, which some people do, but I would strongly dis- discourage your, your listeners from doing that unless they're, they've, they're really accomplished desert hikers and they've done a lot of hiking here at the Grand Canyon. And even... Yeah, even with those caveats, it's a it's it's a major undertaking to do it in a day. Yeah, I I, I would I just looking at that and doing the little hikes we did, and and we're pretty good hikers. That is that is the varsity. Make sure you're on the varsity team before you uh you try that one. Well, well, Mike, just a couple more questions left. So, um, sure. and I, maybe these tie into one another. In your opinion, what is the best season to go to the Grand Canyon? You know, if you if you you know you you're there. Uh, what's your favorite season, and and if a new visitor, what what's a little uh, secret about the best season to go? Let's start with hiking, and then we'll we'll talk about maybe on either rim. For hiking, uh, no question about it. It would be uh, uh, early spring or or mid late fall. So April, you know, mid March through early May would be prime time where the temperatures are are uh, down in the canyon. Our cool is probably not the right word, but not not blistering hot as there in the summer months. You know, the days are fairly long, and uh, you can, you know, see a lot of things before the sun goes down. Uh, you'd want to pick that back up in that window or, or a second window for backcountry hiking in probably mid-September through uh, mid-November, that sort of two-month window. 
uh, again, the temperatures are a little more forgiving down below, and, uh, and the days are, are relatively uh, long. The fall has more of a stable weather pattern of those two windows I just mentioned, uh, where, where you're less likely to get, uh, you know, high wind events and, and uh, rain or snow. Uh, but, but there's no guarantees. The canyon always has the final word. Uh, up on the rim, I would say, uh, you know, there's really not a bad time. Uh, it, it depends what you're here to do. You know, for photography, for example, late summer is the rainy season, and you get some nice uh, afternoon thunderstorms with rainbows and lightning, hopefully at a safe distance. Um, you know, winter time is, uh, you can come here in winter. There's probably going to be snow on the south rim. As I mentioned, the north rim is closed during the winter. Uh, but the crowds have definitely diminished, you know, from early after Christmas through spring break. Fine time to be here. You can go down into the canyon and walk along the rim, although you have to be ready for snow. So you'd need uh, trekking poles and, and ice cleats and, and just be able to, and, and layers of clothing to prepare for that, to do it safely. So, uh, you know, that's my personal favorite time here is, is the fall. Uh, in fact, we're we're smack dab in it right now. I just like the the slower pace in terms of, of visitation and so forth. The hiking is great. Mm. There's a different light quality. The birds are flocking. Yeah, you know, you can hear elk bugling out in the forest. It's just a it's just a real magical time here. We uh we feel like we stole something because we got fall weather in late December. So you know we were there and uh, you know as you said we were ready for the canyon and have the final word and. Uh, Ended up overpacking. It was uh, 65, 70 degrees each day, and uh, you know the nights were chilly, but man, just sweater chilly. Not 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 winter, not winter cold. So uh, we felt like we got a, we we got a little bit of that fall weather uh, at Christmas time, which of course is disconcerting to the larger environment. But for our little our little vacation, it really worked out well. And um, you know, so Mike, just this is the last question here, and we'll wrap it up. Is uh, you know what's you're there, and it sounds like you were drifting into that in a bit. What's what is your what is your favorite Grand Canyon story? Is it is it something in the fall where you've just been uh, at work or you're you're leading a group, and then suddenly there's something that hits you, um, a sight or a sound or something where you say, "Well, this is this is this is why I love the Grand Canyon." So, do you have a quick uh, anecdote that you can share with us to wrap up? I'm a professional photographer, landscape photographer, so I'm anytime. In particular, where there's a weather event, I'm out shooting the canyon uh, from top to bottom, trying to get you know an unusual composition or some drama in the sky. And I, I think some of my favorite experiences here, at least on my own, unless I'm hiking with with family and get my nieces and nephews and extended family excited about the canyon and down below, uh, which is a personal quest of, of of mine and my wife to get our entire extended family dialed in and excited about the canyon. But if I'm out shooting the canyon and I can catch a rainbow or some dramatic, you know, lightning or or a weather system pushing through or, or you know, a breaking winter storm, that's really about as good as it gets for me. And never-ending quest to get to capture the canyon, you know, uh, with the camera. It, it, it's pretty elusive. I don't think the, the quintessential shot of the canyon has ever been taken, but you know, millions of people try every year, but that's that's one of the things that keeps me going here and keeps me excited. I've lived here for 24 years now. You know, a real real honor to be living here and a, and a pleasure. And I try to get out and look at the canyon every day if I can. 
and uh, usually with camera in hand. And it never gets old, does it? It never gets old. No, not not for me. I can't speak for everyone, but there's there's so much to do here, so much to see. And even if you're at a familiar overlook, the canyon sure. changes throughout the day. I think you probably experienced that, uh, especially if there's any cloud play going on and so forth. And, and frankly, all the people I meet from all over the world that come here to have a Grand Canyon experience, you know, my... My professional life here running the Field Institute is, is to help to provide those kinds of opportunities for, for people, both on and off the clock, and, and that really keeps me going. Seeing it through fresh eyes when, you know, other people are experiencing the canyon, it gets me excited all over again. Yeah, and people like my sister-in-law. Well, well, what a great note to end on. So, again, Mike Buchheit, uh, Field Institute Director for the Grand Canyon Association, thank you so much for your insight and tips uh, and all you did was just make me more uh, more eager to get back, especially get down that river. That's uh, that's the next thing is to get down that river and do a and do a canyon hike as well. So uh, thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate, it. and we'll we'll see you out there on the trail. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybody'snationalparks.com. While there consider clicking on support the show. You may find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like the show, write a review, give us a five-star rating, and please tell your friends. You may also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or send us your comments at everybody'snationalparks.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybody'snationalparks. Most of all, Enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.